This is episode 58, and welcome back. And we're going to start in chapter 6. And so <clears throat> David had just completed being made king of all Israel and whatnot. And so he's looking to complete his kingship. And one of the things that was missing was the ark. And so we're staying at some guy's house. So he wanted to go to, uh, to the ark and bring it back to the city of David. Remember, he had just kind of coronated the city of David as the capital of Israel, if you will. And so, but the ark was missing. And so he wanted to take the ark to the city of David. And so they set out to transport the ark uh, from this guy's house. And um, uh, Uzzah was one of the priests, one of the Levites that was in charge of actually carrying the ark, you know, back from the house to the city of David. And so it says in verse 5, David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir, fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, uh, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. And so they're marching the ark to the city of David and uh, as a processional, if you will, and preceding the ark is all kind of, it's like a parade, you know, dancing and, and, and partying, if you will. And they have been uh, the, 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 uh, the conquering ones of the lands and, and, and just coordinated a new capital city. And so they're feeling themselves. They're feeling good. And so then it says in verse 6, when they came to Nacon, a Nacon threshing floor, Uzzah reached out you know, to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. And so, uh, so you have the, the ark of the covenant, and it was carried on two, it was carried on two poles, okay? And so as it's being carried on two poles, you know, and, and, um, and the oxen are dragging it, the ox stumbles, and so I imagine that the that the ark kind of went like this, and Uzzah went out to steady the ark, but that was a no-no. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irre um, irreverence. And so this was viewed as an irreverent act, not honoring God. And he died there next to the ark of God, verse 8. David was angry because the Lord's outburst uh, because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So he named that place outburst against Uzzah. <laughs> so this happened there. So he named the place. What happened? Um, and in verse nine, David feared the Lord that day and said, "How can the ark of the Lord come over to me?" And so he was not willing to take it back to the city of David because he was afraid. You know, and so instead he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. And so he took it to somebody else's house instead of bringing it to the capital. <clears throat> in verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained um, in his house three months and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. So they took the ark of the Lord there because they were too afraid to take it to the city of David. And while it was there for three months, the whole household of Obed-Edom got blessed. So this gives back to David. They said, look. Uh, Obed-Edom is getting blessed because the ark is there. Uh, and so it says, so David, this is verse 12. So David uh, went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. And so, so the three months must have given him time to reconsider and make sure that he handled things properly and whatnot. So he went back, retrieved the ark, and brought it to the city of David. It says in verse 14, David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen uh, ephod. And so David was wearing a garment of the priest, and only the Levites were to do this, and David was not a Levite. And so he was allowed to do this. And um, 
I don't know why, but he was. He says in verse 15, he and his whole house of Israel were, were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of a ram's horn. So again, it's like a parade. It's a processional. They're partying, they're hooping and hollering and whatnot as the ark is coming in. And David has his ephod on, just dancing with all his might before it. In verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michal, uh, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So she's looking at her. Remember, she was his first wife. And so uh, she's looking at him as he's dancing before the ark, and she despised him in her heart. Now, why does she despise him? There could be several reasons, and maybe all of them. You know, <clears throat> he was her father's successor. Maybe she wasn't down with that. You know, and he's, he's her father's dead, and here he is partying and hooping and hollering. Um, she was taken from the one that she was given to, even though she was initially David's wife, she was given to another man and then they went and took her and um, she didn't have anything. She didn't have any say in it. She had to do it, you know, and so that's what that's what she did. So maybe she despised him because of that, you know, <clears throat> who knows? Like I said, there could be several reasons that she despised him, but for for certain, you know, his behavior with regard to uh, dancing as he was coming in that pricked something in her and that made her despise him even more. And so then uh, we move on. It says in verse 17, they, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent and David had pit, that David had pitched for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. Now here's another thing. Again, when you're offering these uh, uh, sacrifices, this is the job of the Levite. And so if we recall, Saul got in trouble for doing exactly this, but David doesn't. Now, it could be another thing. Uh, Non-Levites could assist Levites or priests in giving the offerings and sacrifices. And so maybe David was assisting, you know, Abiathar, or I don't know. We, it doesn't say. Um, but we do know that Saul got in trouble for making offerings, un, unsanctioned offerings, because Samuel came and said, what are you doing? You know, what have you done? And uh, when Samuel was late. And so it is what it is. And so uh, then in verse 20, it says, when David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter, see the word calls her Saul's daughter, doesn't call her David's wife. <laughs> Saul's daughter, Michal, came out to meet him. How the king of Israel honored himself today, you know, so we see that, again, she despised him. So this is coming out of her heart. How the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects um, um, like a vulgar person would expose himself. So she was accusing him of not being dignified. She was accusing him of not being stately. She was accusing him that you were, you were acting like, um, you know, just like a vulgar common person. And in verse 21, David uh, replied to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people. So he's telling, look, I'm doing all this before the Lord, who, by the way, chose me over your dad and all in your family. <laughs> I will dance before the Lord and I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more. And so David said, not only are you wrong about this? But I'll do it again, and I'll do it even more fervently. 
I'll be even more dishonorable. <laughs> you know? So he's doubling down. He's tripling down. And then uh, it says, however, by the slave girls, oh, however, by the slave girls you spoke about, I will be honored. And so he says, you know, you were denigrating these other women, but I'm going to be honored by them. And in verse 23, and Saul's daughter, Michal, had no children to the day of her death. And so she spoke out against David. I guess the Lord heard it. He was not pleased. He made her barren. We see that in chapter 7, uh, David has returned from his exploits. And he's in his house, you know, chilling out, basically relaxing. And in verse 2, it says, the king said to the prophet Nathan, he's having a conversation uh, with his prophet. He says, look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside of tent curtains. And so to, this, is, this is an egregious imbalance from David's perspective. You know, he, he's, not, he's feeling as though he's not honoring the Lord. How can I live here? And the Lord lives in a tent. Verse 4, but that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? And so Nathan is to go to David and ask him this question, you know, are you to build me a house to dwell in? And then uh, the Lord goes and tells Nathan all the things that he's done. He's, he's, he's wandered around the wilderness with the Israelites, and, and, uh, and, and they've been, he's been going before them. He says, have, have I ever asked for anybody to build me a house? You know, why, why does David think this and whatnot? He says, and then I want you to go there. And he says in verse 6, um, or verse 8, it says, uh, so now this is what you are to say to my servant David. And he says, look, if we drop down further in verse 11, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. No, you're not to make me a house, David. I'm going to make you a house. Verse 12, when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he goes wrong, I will discipline him with the rod of men and blows for mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, uh, whom, I removed whom I removed from before you. Uh, verse 16, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. And so he says, no, 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 David, I'm going to build you a house. This is what's going to happen in your lineage. This is going to happen with your legacy. I'm going to raise a son that you have, and he's going to build a house for my name. You know, and so in verse 18, then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence and said, who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this, that you have brought me this far? Who am I, God? And who am I that you have brought me this far, me and my house this far? And so David is really, he's displaying his sincere humility right here, saying, who am I? You know, you brought me in, and now you're telling me all this wonder, all these wondrous things that are going to happen after I'm gathered to you. And, um, and so it's overwhelming to him. And so he goes on, and he pray, uh, prays this prayer of thanksgiving. I highly recommend that you read it. You know, and so this is chapter 7, uh, verse 19, uh, through the end of chapter 7. You know, he, he's just giving this beautiful prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. And the most important part is it's 100% sincere. And so uh, let's move on to chapter 8. <clears throat> and it says, after this, David defeated the Philistines, and then he defeated the Moabites, and then he defeated Zobah, and then he defeated the, Arame uh, the Arameans. And so chapter 8, you know, goes into uh, 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 reveal all of David's battlefield conquests. 
and how successful he was at, in, at, at warfare. In verse 13, it says, David made a reputation for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in Salt Valley. And so we see that, you know, David, uh, his, his reputation was just growing and growing and growing and growing as a fierce warrior, strategist, um, a, a battlefield genius and whatnot, not only amongst the Israelites, but amongst all the peoples in the region, all the kingdoms in the region. In verse 15, it says, so David reigned over all Israel administering justice and righteousness for all his people. So we can see why the Lord has called him a man after his own heart, because justice and righteousness was of supreme importance to David, you know, probably only secondary to following the Lord. And so, but he's also a man. And we'll see that men have failings. Go on to chapter nine. And it's in verse 1, it says, David, David asks, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now remember, Jonathan and David had made a covenant, a vow, in which David, you know, uh, at the time Jonathan, I guess, was thinking he was going to survive the wars and that he would be David's second man after David ascended uh, to the throne. But also a part of that covenant was that he would make sure to take over uh, and watch over Jonathan's house and that no, uh, no bad thing, no, no, no destruction would come to Jonathan's house. And so uh, David is intent on following through with his vow, even though Jonathan was dead. And so, <clears throat> so he's asking in verse 2, uh, or he's asking, you know, is there anybody I can show kindness to? In, ver- in verse 2, there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. And so Ziba comes before David and says, yes, there is one. You know, there's um, Mesoboth, who is Jonathan's son. And I am watching over him, but he's injured in both feet. And so he's lame. He can't walk. And so David asks, where is he? And Ziba tells him where he is. And he says, well, bring him to me. And so in verse 6, it says, Mesoboth, a son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage to David. Uh, David said, Mesoboth. <clears throat> and and Mesoboth said, I am your servant, he replied. Verse 7, don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you, you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you, uh, I will restore you to all, excuse me, I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. And so David is telling Mesoboth, I'm going to make you whole. Everything that was Saul's is now going to be yours, and you're going to eat at my table. And so um, Mesoboth's response was similar to David's uh, uh, when David was speaking uh, before the Lord. And it was like, who am I? You know, why, are, why, why do I deserve this? And, you know, David essentially tells him, because it's covenant I made with your father is essentially what the answer is. And it says, so Mesoboth ate at David's table, just like one of the king's sons. And so David followed through, you know, on his covenant, on his vow. He followed through. It didn't matter that Jonathan was dead. He followed through, and now he's taking care of his son. In chapter 10, uh, that kind of highlights uh, 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 Joab and Ab- uh, Abisha, his brother. And um, now, now you remember that David kind of cursed uh, Commander Joab uh, because they had killed Abner. And he was in, you know, in the process of negotiating, taking over all of Israel. And, and so... Uh, he kind of cursed Joab and his family, but Joab is still under his command. And Joab uh, was a brilliant military man, and he, like David, would have conquest after conquest after conquest in the field. 
And so he was still in the employ of the Israeli army, okay? <laughs> even though David had kind of cursed him. And so um, we move on to chapter 11, and now things get really interesting. And so it says in verse 1, In the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officials in all Israel. Now the word makes specific note when kings go out to war because it says, but David remained in Jerusalem. And so David sent his, his, his warriors out, but he remained there. And that ends up getting him in big, big trouble. <clears throat> Verse 2, one evening David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, son of Iliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And verse 4, David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, she slept with her. he slept with her. So he knew that she was married, and he came because you know, I guess she was beautiful and he was in the mood, and he slept with her. And, uh, but there was a problem. She returned home, and then it says in verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. Verse 6, David sent orders to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. So they were out fighting, and so David sends word, send this soldier back to me. So he sends him back to him. Uh, Uriah comes back, and in verse 8, then he said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, um, and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master's servants. He did not go to his house. So David was planning on Uriah to go home, you know, have a good time, you know, sleep with his wife and whatnot to cover up the fact that she was pregnant. Verse 10, when it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come from the journey? Why didn't you go home? Verse 11, Uriah said to David, the ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house and eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live and by your life, I will not do this. So Uriah is a man of principle and honor. He said, look, my boys are out there fighting in the fields. They're sleeping on the ground and whatnot. They're eating God knows what, you know, and you and, and I'm going to go home and have a nice dinner and sleep with my wife. And then, no, 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 no. This shall never be. And so we see that Uriah here and his principles are awesome. <clears throat> and so then David uh, tells him, OK, stay here and tomorrow I'll send you back. In verse 13, then, they, then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him. And David got him drunk. So David is still trying. He went out in the evening uh, to lie down on his cot and his master's servants, but he did not go home. So again, we see David got him drunk, got him inebriated, tried to get his thinking foggy. And so then he'll go home and sleep with his wife. He didn't do it. <laughs> in verse 14, the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent with him um, and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw, him, uh, then withdraw from him so that he gets struck down and dies. This is treacherous. You know? <clears throat> and so that's exactly what happens. 
And so they were fighting in verse 17. Then the men of the city came out to attack Joab, and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. And so Uriah wasn't the only one that died. Some other guys died with him to cover up David's sin. So David essentially murdered these people to cover up his sin. So Joab sends word, sends word back to David that this has been accomplished. And so in verse 26, it says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. Uh, when the time of mourning ended, David had, had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. So she mourned for him, and then she gets up and, and goes and marries David. Okay. But the last sentence is critical. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Heck yeah, it was evil. Are you going to kill a man and take his wife? And, uh. So anyway, the Lord sends Nathan to David. And Nathan tells him this story with regard to lambs and sheep and and uh, a rich man takes a poor man's lambs and then he needs to, you know, give up one of them. So he, he prepares one of the poor man's lambs and not one of his. So David gets outraged. And in verse five, it says, David was infuriated with the man, uh, with the man and said to Nathan, as long as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. So David gets indignant at this injustice because remember, righteous injusticeness is very important to David most of the time. In verse 7, Nathan replied to David, you are that man. You know, that, that parable, the story I gave you, that was just a story. That was just a story. You are that man I'm talking about. This is what the Lord of Israel says. I appointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. I gave you... I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own. You murdered him with uh, the Ammonite sword. Therefore, the sword will never leave your house. In other words, you introduce violence into this situation, and so violence is never going to leave your house. In verse 11, this is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. <clears throat> you acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. What gets done in the dark comes out in the light. In verse 13, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken uh, away, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Now notice David's response, unlike Saul. Remember when Saul was caught with his hand in the cookie jar, Saul made every kind of excuse as to why he did this or why he was trying to please the Lord or why this was honoring to the Lord, this and other. David just fessed up. He just said, I have sinned before the Lord. I'm, you're right. I did it. <clears throat> Verse 14. <clears throat> well, back to 13, it says, okay, you will not die. However, 
Because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son, uh, the son born to you will die. And Nathan went home. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became deathly ill. Verse 16, David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night lying on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. Verse 18, on the seventh day, the baby died. So then David gets up. He asks, well, he doesn't know yet. He sees his servants milling around talking. So he asks them, is the baby dead? And they say, yes. The baby's dead. In verse 20, then David got up from the ground. He washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house and worshiped. So the Lord had just told him he was going to strike his son down or his baby down because of what he did. And he did. And so David prayed and fasted. It didn't do any good. They told him the baby died. So he gets up. And what's the first thing he does? He goes to worship the Lord. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Then he went home and requested something to eat, so they served him food, and he ate. In verse 21, his servants asked him, why have you done this? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept, but when he died, you got up and ate food. So they were kind of confused. And so in verse 22, David answered, while the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me me and let him live. Verse 23, but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he'll never return to me. So David's saying, I'll go to him. I'll die and join him, but he'll never return to me. So that's why I got up and, and quit fasting, because it was the game was up. In verse 24, then get, David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Um, he went to her and slept with her. She gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and he um, sent a message through the prophet Nathan, who named him Jedidiah, uh, because of the Lord. And so we see where Solomon comes from, right? All of this nonsense. But anyway, we'll pick up chapter 13 tomorrow. Bye-bye.